This is the Final Fix Podcast. This is just real people having real conversations surrounding substance abuse and the way addiction impacts communities. We're three brothers who have experienced addiction through a family member. We each have unique perspectives to the same situation, and as we have healed through discussing, we want to share our experience and speak with others who have been affected by substance abuse. Our goal with this podcast is to spread awareness of the harm of substance abuse. To talk to real people about their experience and how they've healed and to learn more about the role that substance abuse plays in communities and families. We are not experts, just brothers who have had our own experiences around addiction and want to help others by facilitating conversations. Please be aware that some of these conversations may be difficult and triggering. Any episodes that feature adult content will be labeled as explicit and may not be appropriate for children. We are back again with a, another episode. Um, this week, we have another special guest uh, who Alex is actually known for a few years, not super close, but um, just kind of diving into her story and um, learning from her experiences with her. So uh, we have Chloe here. We'll go ahead and let you just introduce yourself, tell us a little background, and uh, we'll go from there. I'm Chloe. I grew up in the same area as you guys between Everett and Linwood. Um I'm now on the other side of the state in Spokane, which is better to be away from some of this stuff, but it's it's bad over here too. Um, I married, have a three-year-old daughter who has completely changed my outlook of life in the last few years. Um, she really opened my eyes and my family's eyes to being a little bit more uh, present. Yeah, I can so. definitely empathize there. I have an almost three-year-old too, so it's a game changer. Yeah, yeah. I never thought I would be a mother with the way that I was raised with women figures. So uh, my whole goal is just to be better than any example I had. That's all we can hope to do. I mean, yeah, kids, kids, uh, kids can be, they're a blessing. That's for sure. But, um, like you kind of said, when you started, um, you know, it started really young for you, I guess, uh, not you particularly, I guess, but just family members, influence and things like that. So I guess we could start with your childhood. Like what's the earliest memory you have of <clears throat> like experiencing? I think it was like four, four or five. Um, my parents had separated when I was three, four. And so, um, after she, my mom, my mom left my dad and after my dad, uh, and them separated, it was like the mom I knew at home was not the mom I knew anytime I saw her when they were separated anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was like a completely different person. And I don't know at the time if I knew what that was that changed her personality to me but that's when I noticed something was different um so after they were after they separated my mom I, I I think it was work or something she met this other guy and 
It was about 1996. So I was five. They met. So yeah. Ever since then, I guess she just had this guy come into her life and he was abusive, narcissist, the whole deal that took advantage of a broken person. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of mental health that plays into my story, my own personal experiences on top of my parents too. So to deal with these kinds of things in the nineties is crazy to think about as a woman with mental health, like trying to understand how my mom would have been going through this at the time. Lack of resources. We think we have now, like (laughs) there was nothing. It was, you know, you still had so much of that mentality from, people coming home from world war two Vietnam, like you just shut up and deal with it. You don't talk about your problems. You don't, you know, that just kind of bled into every family. Um, do you think, uh, so was your parents separation now that you're adult, do you know, like, was that, um, addiction related or was that, it was just a, like a, a, well, I guess a normal divorce isn't really a thing, but there was just like marital issues and that was okay. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it was the addiction, but now that I talked to my mom and after going through um, postpartum myself, Mm -hmm. uh, my little brother, so I have a little brother, so when my parents separated, he was barely two, or just Mm -hmm. over two, and so, like, the things that I've learned as a mom about postpartum, I, I, and I've told my mom this, I think she had some postpartum issues going on at the time. And the resources weren't in her hands and the doctors didn't know. Mm-hmm. And so the little bit of that mental health that pregnancy hormones can change and a woman is extreme. And I just think she, they didn't know. She didn't have that support and mm-hmm. that mental mind state did not ever help her progress yeah, well, in a better way. Yeah, like Jordan said, it, there was there's just a resources. I mean, like he said, the lack of resources now, you can only imagine what it was like back then. And um, that's, yeah, that's difficult. Shoot. Well, even with like the postpartum, they, a lot of that stuff is still relatively unknown, like, and, and not discussed openly. You have to, um, you have to really seek it out. And even you know, with medications, with all that kind of stuff, the, um, a lot of the time we know how it works, but we don't know why it works. Uh, the, like, I can't remember the name of the book. It was about, oh, Lost Connections. Duh. It was about connections and depression. And, um, like the whole first piece of it, part of the book was talking about that specifically, like that, the way that these antidepressants work. And it's like, this is how they work, but we don't, we really don't know why. <laughs> like, so it's, it's yeah. crazy what we think we know and how much is still yet to be learned with all of it. Um, so that kind of was hap- like kind of led into their split. Um, and your did, was your mom like somewhat better after or like what she no, it just started to spiral there. Yeah. It um 
No, like I said, I don't think she ever got any kind of help for where she was mentally, and it just never... She never did anything in a positive way after that, I feel like. Um, I had found out more about their separation was uh, more of her and uh, out-of-nowhere thing, so I don't know. But just the mental mindset she was in at the time when she met um, Ryder. So uh, that just... She became more stressed trying to be a single mom um she was having to work more because she was living by herself so it was a single income two kids still and so she uh my dad had us full time after that and um Ryder moved in and it was we saw her every other weekend um I mean, we can kind of relate to that, not specifically, but, you know, our mom met a guy and, you know, others as well. And her decision making, you know, kind of went down the drain. But when you said that he took advantage of her, um, like, mind state at the time, I, I just wonder where, like, how they met. Was it like doing not good things or was it kind of just they knew each other before and they got together? I think it was a work connection. Um, they worked in, uh, like, Woodenville at the time where there was a lot of businesses that just all worked within, like, the same yeah. area over there. Um, yeah, I think they worked together most of the, close to each other within those vicinities. Um, my mom had the same job, but he was often switching jobs, doing different things consistently. Um, I mean, until they both lost their jobs but um sorry to go back to your question he i think took advantage of a single woman living by herself because he moved in almost immediately and after that i i he was around until 2020 oh man yeah see that's yeah same thing like literally met the guy and i i i swear it was like the door opened and his mattress was like in our house like hmm. I vividly remember sitting on the couch and that happened. Jordan, what are yeah. you going to say? A, a few, a few. <laughs> yeah. Or like they yeah. would go together or, you know, there, there was a few of those. Um, is your mom doing the work now? Like so, it's past 2020 and there is a lot more available. Yeah, there's still a lot more work to do, but is she kind of going back through all this? Um, Now a little bit more just – being open with me since my daughter was born and I kind of gave her that like you weren't in my life so I need you to be better for her or just don't don't do this at all to us yeah yeah um so she's not actually today she told me she's actively gonna go talk to somebody else besides just talking to me and my aunt which have been like her safe people since he left because we were the yeah. only ones that ever really knew the truth that was going on the last 15, 16 years. I am so happy for you <laughs> and, yeah. and her, of course, but that is, Oh man. If I heard that, like, I don't know how I feel. <laughs> yeah. That's Wait, did you say she got clean in 2006 or? Did she... Yeah. Oh, okay. well from meth. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. At that, that was the longest worst part. Um, <laughs> 
All right. So how how is your dad in all of this? Like, does he have any sort of struggle, any sort of like downward spiral, or is he kind of hold true and take? He put on his strong face and he stepped up and he was the best dad that had to work full time and support two kids. He did everything and was around as much as he could besides work. Yeah. And then, uh, so he was, he was the strong one. And then he, he battles with alcoholism and, uh, I never saw him drunk until I was 10 years old. That was the first time I ever saw my dad ever struggle in front of us or show any sort of use. So you kind of have it on both ends. You know, there's the nature versus nurture argument, but, you know, really you had, you know, they have whatever DNA going on that led into you, but also like you witnessed this with your mom and now, and then, you know, your dad as well. So, um, I guess kind of tell us how this, how your childhood led into some of your experiences. So, uh, besides my mom's use up until then, um, I had never seen my dad drunk and then he, he down downhill pretty fast, I think, in my eyes. But um, I never wanted to drink after I saw him drunk. Um, in I was in seventh grade. He almost killed somebody drunk driving in front of our house. And uh, I actually heard the whole thing. Like, I was inside and... Um, actually tried to take his keys before he left to go get more wine. And uh, he went and got a spare pair, went to the store. And then when he was pulling into our driveway, he hit a guy on a motorcycle and uh, broke half of his body, like the right half of his body, ribs, arms, leg. So I uh, was very angry. I didn't understand alcohol at that time as a problem or an addiction because it was so socially everywhere like my parents so my dad remarried when I was 13 no 12 it was the same year so my dad remarried when I was 12 um and then it was the next year he uh, got in his accident um but they would drink a bottle of wine a night him and my stepmom and it was normal like Nobody, I knew no different. I mm-hmm. thought that was normal. I, my friend's parents drank casually uh, after work. So until yeah. up until that night, I had never had him get angry with me personally. I'd seen him. I have, um, I have two stepbrothers now and a stepsister from my dad's remarriage. Um, and I'd seen him get angry with my older brothers and I just assumed that was alcohol and testosterone between, uh, teenage boys and my dad as a stepfather. Um, and so 
I never wanted to be like that. I never wanted to be in that situation. So in high school, I never drank. I went to the parties. I hung out with the kids. Um, I did. I smoked weed and I did the ecstasy casually, but I never wanted to drink. That was like nasty, toxic poison in my mind. Um, there were a few times I remember drinking and like getting drunk in high school, but it it wasn't fun. Mm-hmm. I Yes. Yes. I never understood why it was. And I don't know if it was I was the sober one at parties for so long. So I saw everyone already making a fool of themselves. And I didn't want to be like that. Um, and then fast forward 10 years, that was me uh, blacking out and leaving CenturyLink downtown and not knowing anybody. <laughs> like, I ended up in... Um, uh alcohol was hard for me um after high school when I thought I was 21 and it was I legal so I should be able to be okay to have a drink and I wasn't I uh learned more about the alcoholism that runs in my family um we're also native so the native blood doesn't help uh, two things. First off, that is like the story of my life. Like I turn 21 in a couple months and like, I am genuinely so scared because like all anyone talks about is like buying me a drink, like, oh, it's going to be so fun. And it's just like, I'd rather not try because I don't. And this is going into my second part. I don't want to try it and like, enjoy it. Like, that's like my biggest fear. And it's like, I I trust myself now. But just like you, like, you were like, no, like never, that's poison, like literally poison. And it just, it can take hold of you so fast. So like, I'm going to ask like, when did you experience like the takeover or realize that you like, were starting to have a problem with it? Um, I, this kind of skips a bunch. Um, but when I was in high school, I st- I guess I was 17. I, I, um, <laughs> I, yeah, sorry. This is going to kind of jump around. So the alcohol, I, uh, you can start it, at the beginning. If you want to get there, we'll, we'll answer his question. If you want to start at the beginning, that's totally fine. Yeah. It's, it's just, um, to go in order in my mind, it makes more sense. Yeah, absolutely. No, definitely. Uh, because I switched to drink when I turned 21, I switched to drinking as a, a different substance to rely on than uh, Oxycontin. Okay. okay. So, uh, seeing my parents the way, like, my mom lived in motels and lost jobs, and I, I saw her not be able to take care of us because the things that she chose to do during the week um took her finances from our food on the weekends we were supposed to visit so that was my first kind of um realization that it was uh her purposely choosing something else over us and me not understanding that nobody told me the truth about what was going on with my mom at the time um and so on top of the my mom has a problem with something but I didn't know what it was. And then my dad, um, yeah, through high school, I never wanted to do anything. I, I smoked a little bit of weed. 
But um, when I was 16, almost 17, my cousin died. And uh, he was like my best friend. So it was kind of hard. And I gave up. I gave up in school. I gave up friendships. I gave up a lot of things. Um, and that unleashed something in my mind where it changed my stance on using different substances. Uh, alcohol was still being abused. Worse in my home now because it was my dad's uh, nephew. Uh, so I saw the alcohol get worse, but I needed to escape. So I started doing more drugs. Um a little bit more ecstasy. Uh, I ended up hanging out with the wrong people and they were meth users. And that was a limit I was not about to cross. But one day they just had oxy. So I tried it, smoked it. That was my escape. I was still in high school. I was failing my senior year. Um, and so I decided to, uh, oh, my dad had already kicked me out after my cousin's death. And I kind of started spiraling. I started rebelling and not getting the grief and kind of trauma that I should have gotten with that kind of um, experience at 17. It was three days before my 17th birthday. So uh, from about after my, when I turned 17, I just started uh, using everything uh, recreationally and then certain things just stuck more. Yeah, I mean, if if they weren't getting the help that they need needed and being who they needed to be for themselves like there's no way that you had any sort of support there like through that and I'm sorry that sucks like and that's a I mean just dealing with parents that abuse and you know that that alone is terrible but then also adding in grief of somebody that you're very close to like that's a opens up a whole nother can of worms like um yeah i can't imagine yeah um well first off i'm very happy that you are here now you know and the fact that and we've heard it multiple times like and i mean alex and jordan can attest to this like the fact that your daughter has changed your outlook on everything like when it came to like just your life in general um it's, it's really like, I'm trying to think of like the word, what was the word you guys would use? Like to describe having a kid, like how, like how does that feel when you think of the past and you have your kid now and it's like, what, like, what the fuck? Like how the fuck, how could anyone do this? I, I, I mean, it's definitely just life changing. I know for me, it's like, I used to. Like, I would see kids uh, out in the, at the store or whatever misbehaving or their parents yelling at them and it was, or, like, maybe treating the kid the wrong way. And I was kind of just like, whatever, that's their parent. And, I, and then when I became a parent and I saw parents mistreating their kids, I, like, 
angered me. So I don't know. It changes you for sure. Um, I don't necessarily know what word you're talking about, but it definitely changes you. Yeah, it's, it's like, a like a shift. rebirth. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah, definitely. Yeah, the, my favorite parenting quote is the like Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> oh, um, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, because he's married to Blake Lively, and they have like a, the best relationship. And he was talking about, and then we had our daughter, and I realized that I would hold up my wife as a human shield if anything were going to happen and it's you know it's it's one of those things where you have to become so selfless and the people that don't i don't understand yeah so so take us like so you the the oxy started and and this is actually um i don't know that we've had specifically since we watched the show but we just got done watching the um i'm gonna forget the name someone help me um, painkiller painkiller and that was all about oxy and i don't know that we've talked to anybody since then that actually experienced oxy and um so from that like how long did that go before you know you you got clean or or however that panned out well um so i started when i was at I was still living at home. It was um, the summer going into my senior year is when I started hanging out with people that I shouldn't have. And uh, I was still trying to maintain the school life. Like I was trying to maintain a normal life, but like I didn't want to. I dropped my first two classes at school because there was no way I would ever get to school before 10 a.m. Like I could not physically manage that. Which ended up leading me to go to a scriber. Um, so I uh, went there to finish my credits and I, I started using more and I met my ex-boyfriend who was a dealer. Um, so it became too easy, accessible. Uh, yeah, that relationship, uh, I ended up getting me kicked out of my house. Well, my, my dad and I, our relationship was very bad after all that. And, um, he pretty much gave me the option that if I'm not going to come home when he tells me to, then don't come home. So I, I left. Um, so when it, I left my dad's house. I ended up switching from Scriber to online school and being home all day where it was easy to just use and not leave the house and have to go to school and see people. So I, uh, yeah, I lost touch with my family, my friends, uh, got really invested in this relationship we moved in together um rented a house and he gave me <clears throat> an ultimatum that if we were going to stay together I was not allowed to use anymore um but he could because yeah hmm. uh so I, I mean he was doing using a lot more than I was daily when I met him and for years before that so um he kind of saved me in that way. 
we ended up being together for three years and I only used for six months out of the relationship. So, uh, I mean, I still saw and did things that I regret in that time helping him, but yeah. So how did that kind of go down? Like, how did that work out? for you you say that he uh like saved you in a way which is like dope when you said that i was like oh that's so cool and then like you said well he can use and i was like wow fuck (laughs) but like how was that like first of all getting off of it while he's doing it every day or you know seeing all that stuff all the time like how how did that like how'd that make you feel like how did you do that i was not in my right mind in this relationship still um he was just the first person that seemed to care for me like me personally for the first time after ever (laughs) so uh you know I feel like he he kind of used that because um I had money also so uh yeah I, when I turned 18, I got, um, a trust fund and, uh, blew a hundred K in less than a year. Damn. Yeah. That's <laughs> not, damn. not, not all the drugs. I say, I say damn, because it's just like, you guys know, Jen, I have a friend who literally did the same thing and it's, um, not, a not an addiction related thing, but it was, a. um, uh, a male figure that took advantage of her for knowing she got a bunch of money because her dad had passed away when she was a child. So it's just like the parallel there. It's just like, I, I was her good friend while she went through that. So I can, I kind of empathize and see. <laughs> Damn was so fucking funny though. <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. I just, no, oh, it. but like, what else, what is there? To, what do you say? Like, God, that's <laughs> such a crazy thing. To yeah. think about, like, here, let me just give an 18 year old a hundred thousand dollars and expect them to make a good fucking choice with it. <laughs> like, yeah, and that's my dad didn't, my dad knew I was getting it and didn't do anything to set me up successful. I said, yeah. No, I don't want your help, and he was just like, Okay, yeah. so that's, I mean, aside from the you know, addiction and the you know, you struggling at that point in your life. I mean, anybody that gets at that young, anybody who gets that amount of money, it's just like, you need guidance, right? And so at the in the time of being that young, I mean, I'm sure everybody would have been like, no, I'm good. Like, leave me alone. I got this. But, you know, hindsight's 2020. But uh, nobody's, you know, just because you turn 18, and you're legally an adult, I don't think anybody's mature enough to handle that responsibility, no matter how good of a place you are in your life. Bro, you give me $100,000 right now, I don't know that I would make the right choice. (laughs) Exactly my point. And I'm the money one. Like, I'm the money brother. They've changed it since then. They don't do that no more. They uh, structure it out. But, um, yeah, so that, uh, I feel like that's where he took it. He saw that coming in a few months when I met him. And so, uh, yeah, he pretty much, uh, hung out with me. And then when I got the money, I had to get clean. Uh, 
So um, it was hard. There were multiple times where I would, and I, I had a job from a, the time I was 16 through all of this also. Like I was also maintaining a job in a somewhat external life that I could project was fine. <laughs> Good on you. That is uh, impressive. My dad did tell me that I always needed to work more for more. So, yeah. yeah. But, uh, so I had my job. I um, would take, uh, he used to cut the pills up into quarters. So I, and he, he was using so much at the time that he'd cut up a bunch of quarters and wouldn't notice and I could take them. So there was times where I would, say I haven't smoked and I had taken some on my way to work that, and he would never know the difference because he had so many pills. He never even noticed. So, um, but after about the first year I was good, it wasn't very tempting for me for some reason. I, I don't know if it was the longer I was around it with him, the more the kind of people I was seeing on it was not, I mean, this was 2009, 2010. So this is when they started changing them. And uh, they weren't at it. It wasn't as easy to get on the street anymore. So. Uh, yeah, it wasn't it. The people I saw, the, the things we did. It was. uh kind of like I don't want to do that I don't want to end up like them and I'm I'm actually really grateful for how he did that he ended up getting clean too by the end of our relationship and I'm that was 12 years ago and all I can say is I hope he stayed clean I have no idea we didn't stay connected so that's I mean it's you always want to see somebody succeed out of that situation even if you know, no matter where you are, you know, as friends or relationship or whatever, it's, it's tough. You know, I, Jackson asks, he's old enough now and he sees people walking or the homeless people and, um, you know, is that drugs? And so it's just like, you know, well, my drugs looks like all different kinds of things, but maybe, you know, and so it's just, you, you just want the best for people and that's, you know, but, um, did so did you have a was it from like one substance did you so you stopped using oxy did you supplement with something else or were you clean for a while and then the alcoholism came or that's when I started drinking so I had just turned mm -hmm. 21 um I wasn't even 21 yet that's a lie he was uh my boyfriend my ex at the time was 21 so he had gotten me alcohol because I said if you're gonna keep doing these things around me like I'm going to end up doing it. So why don't you give me something else? And I didn't like it. I, it was weird going from smoking oxy to weed. It wasn't the same. So I didn't like it anymore. It was different. Um, so I went to alcohol. Um, one, one drink a night at first. I'm like, oh, that's like, this is actually kind of cool. Like I don't have to intake so much to feel a little bit better in my own self. Mm. So yeah, one, 
one a night, two a night, your tolerance goes up. And it just progressed. Um, me and him split at that point, And uh, I had my own place. I got my own apartment. I was, I was working another job. I was... Um, I felt better mentally for um, the first time in a long time. So uh, I then turned 21 and it was just easy for me to keep drinking. Like I still always had someone older to buy it for me, my siblings, whoever. Um, so uh, yeah, that went all the way into me meeting my husband in 2011. And then I uh, met him, and it got worse. Not not because of him or in a bad way. I just, my tolerance kept going up, and I thought I could keep up with these other people who had a high tolerance that could control themselves. So, um, 2011, I met my husband uh, and his family, and... They, they're drinkers and they can drink a lot, but they can, I don't know what it is. They can just tolerate it or I can't think of the word right now. Like, uh, they're functional alcoholics. Yeah. Well, like, they're, well, they're not even alcoholics. It's not like an every night thing. Um, mm. it was just like when they drank, they drank. Mm-hmm. On the weekends, it was an every Friday, Saturday kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And so I I met him and they lived they lived on a house in Lake Stevens and they had a boat and a jet ski. And I ended my summer thinking I had just met a really awesome guy, which I did. But also having fun thinking that I'm in the right environment to learn how to control it around these people who can control it. Right. Like I thought like you could beat it. Like you could beat this thing. Yeah. If I'm around the people who know how to control it, maybe I can learn to control it. Not realizing that it is much, much deeper than that. So, uh, like it got to the point where, (laughs) so I'm 21 and I'm drinking a fifth to myself a night every Friday and Saturday. Um, my husband was, he'd have his fifth, I'd have my fifth. And it, I don't, I I don't know how we survived, but it was, it was like, he lived at home with his parents and he was 21 and we could drink and like be free. I kind of felt like I was finally living that party phase that I didn't experience in high school. Um. So until 2000, oh gosh, I can't, 13 or 14, I just kept drinking in a uh, downward spiral because I still had not processed anything that had gone on prior in my life, like mentally. And so I... uh, I was just being very self-destructive. I was drinking. I was in this amazing relationship with someone who actually cared about me. And I was just doing everything in my power to try to 
destroy it because I thought it was too good to be true for me and I didn't deserve it. And so I, yeah, I hear stories still to this day of me and the things that I had done drunk during those few years that are still pretty embarrassing and I don't remember. Yeah, the, um, oh shit, I forgot what I was about to say. Oh, um, like trying to cope when you've never had an ability to cope, like that, that downward spiral just continues to happen. Like, and you're kind of just waiting for the other shoe to drop because the other shoe has always dropped. There's always been some shit that's happened. Um, so yeah, like it's very self-deceiving and like can, you know, I, your husband sounds great. I'm glad that you guys made this work together. I'm so grateful for him. He healed my relationship with my dad too, which was something he took on early within the first year of us dating that he didn't even have to. So I, uh, I'm very grateful for him. I don't know where I would be if I didn't meet him and have somebody who actually genuinely wanted the best for me since I had never experienced that personally before. I didn't even realize you guys had been together that long. I, I mean, I, I guess I would, I guess I've only really known you for nine years, but I guess he's always been there since I've known you. I guess I didn't realize it was even farther back than that. Yeah. Um, it's like messed up. Like we don't like we tried to take the good things out of our life because like we expect something to go bad. It's like, that's such a fucked up mindset to have. It's like, we can't even let the good things roll because we just expect it to go bad. Cause that's all we've ever known. But, um, when did you start, or I don't know like how far off like the timeline it goes, but when did you start to kind of, I mean, you healed your relationship with your dad, but when did you kind of start to process um, everything from before? When, um, 2000, I think it was 2013, when my husband kind of gave me the reality check that my drinking wasn't healthy and also gave me the ultimatum of either alcohol or him. So I quit drinking. Um, and I don't know if it just was divine timing or what, but we just happened to move to Moses Lake a few months later. Um, so I was away from everybody and away from everything I knew and people that influenced it. Um, so I'm sorry, I forgot your question, Dominic. Um, kind of like where you started to cope with everything or, you know, realize and, you know, get in, in touch with your feelings about everything for the past. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, when we moved to Moses Lake, I, he had taken me away. F well, not, he didn't take me away, like in a bad way. Like we moved for his work. So it was for a good thing. It, and it was a good place. Um, and I was sober. I started smoking weed a little bit more then, but, um, 
I lived in a city where I didn't know anybody else either. So I had nothing else but to be alone. And I couldn't distract myself with anybody or anything else anymore. And I kind of just had to start. I journal. I've always journaled. I'm I mean, I've gone to therapy since I was 11. So journaling has always been like their number one thing, right? And writing it has always worked for me. So I, I know you understand that too. So I, uh, I just started journaling. I would write all day about nothing and everything. And, you know, some days my husband would come home and I'd be really sad. And he's like, what's wrong? And it was just a day that I just sat there and thought about all the bad stuff for a day and dealt with it and let it come to me and like not just ignore it or push it away anymore like I had done my whole life um that's so funny because like Jordan they, they always say like oh I've handled it the best and it's like if it wasn't for my English teacher my junior year sophomore year or whatever like I don't know like the resource of writing is something that you don't even know is so powerful until you do it. Like, I mean, you tell me to write down my feelings. I'm like, ah, fuck that. Like, I'm not doing that. Like I could care less. Like it's the same thing. It's going on in my mind. Like what is writing it down or typing it going to do for me? But it's like that resource is so powerful. And like, I really wish for people to journal more because it's like amazing. It was hard to start. It's hard when you stop for a while to start again, but like, for me, the easiest thing is just to write what you're thinking. Like, don't sit down and think about writing about a specific topic. Like, no. just sit down and like whatever's in your head. And then you'd be amazed at like the flow of your thought process. Yeah, literally, it was a writing. It was like the beginning of class. I just started the class and she goes, all right, write something for 20 minutes. Just write it. You can literally draw a doodle. I don't care. Just get something on a piece of paper. And I was like, yeah, fuck this. I'm not doing it. First five minutes, I'm like scrolling on my phone. And I was like, all right, I'll try. She was the, like the nicest person I've ever met. And I start to write. And literally, like, that's where my whole story came out. Like, I wrote my entire life on this piece of paper. Yeah, you just really got to try, honestly. Mm -hmm. So you said okay. that, okay, so that was, um, you guys moved to Moses Lake and your drinking stopped. Um, and then you had previously mentioned that you were struggling with postpartum and stuff like that. So there was some mental health aspects to that. Did, did that trigger any, um, did you start drinking again or was there, um, was it just strictly mental health stuff or what happened there? So I, um, after Moses Lake, uh, after a couple years of, dealing with myself, I was able to get off all my prescription, um, antidepressants and anxiety and everything that I had been on since I was 16. Um, so for a good four years, I was good. No medication, um, occasional smoking the weed at that point. And, um, I had smoked cigarettes. I think, I don't think I'd ever not been relying on a substance. If I wasn't using something stronger, I was on, I smoked cigarettes as long as I can remember. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I got pregnant at the end of 2019. So, uh, I was in lockdown my whole pregnancy. Uh, oh, yeah. COVID. 
So I had a, my first pregnancy, I lived at this point, I lived in Ellensburg and all my family was over in the Seattle area. So I also had nobody. Um, that's not true. Not nobody. I had one of my husband's grandmas was in town and she's a savior, but, uh, it's hard when you live away from everybody else hours away during COVID and there was nothing else to do. And you have these emotions going on even heightened. Um, and then I'm a hairstylist, so I also couldn't work. Uh, so I was just at home by myself and my husband was a lot, was able to still work. So he was still gone every day. Um, my grandpa died in April of 2020. So I was Four, five months pregnant I wasn't allowed to go say goodbye because he was it was cancer it was he was in the hospital so uh and I was high risk I was pregnant so uh I had to get back all my medication around then um I don't know if it was the postpartum or the COVID or my grandpa's death but uh it was a little hard um, obviously I'm pregnant, so I couldn't rely on anything. I wasn't using any substances. And then, uh, I had my daughter in August of 2020. So we're still pretty locked down. Um, <clears throat> you know, guests had masks on. Um, I had a traumatic birth. It didn't go as planned. I ended up having to get an emergency C-section. Um, so my pregnant, my my motherhood did not start the best, um, on top of the conditions we were in and hormones, like the, I can't even explain, I can't even explain the way your mind works after you have a kid. Um, but you know, I was good for a while. Everything was fine. Uh, we got her home. She was healthy. Everything was normal. She never had any problems. And then, uh, we moved to Spokane in August of 2021. It was two weeks after her first birthday. And now I'm really far away from everybody. It's a five-hour drive to anybody at home. And I really didn't know anybody. I didn't have a grandma this time. We didn't have any friends or family. And it was that's. It took about six months here by myself as a stay-at-home mom with an infant with a husband who worked full-time to lose it it was hard it was you know I could drink now um but I was nursing her so I couldn't drink too much or too extreme because I could have a couple drinks at night sleep it off and then I could feed her uh that probably saved me honestly if I had the if she was on a formula I probably would have been more reliant on a substance so yeah moving to Spokane triggered something in it also and it was almost a year and a half after I gave birth and that's when my postpartum hit me like I had to go to the doctor and I thought it was just like my depression because I've had it as long as I can remember and I'm already more prone to it um when you're pregnant with the hormones and, uh, he was like, no, you know, 
you this sounds a little bit more like postpartum this doesn't just sound like the normal thing and I was just kind of like taken back and I was like what do you mean like I had her almost two years ago at this point like this doesn't make sense Mm -hmm. and then I learned a lot more and got on different medications and stuff that really helped Good. I mean, the step, the first step is talking to someone, right? Like that's the the biggest thing is you could have played it off as like, oh, this is just my depression that I've had my whole life. I'll figure it out. Uh, but just seeking, seeking the help and understanding is just a huge step. It took a lot of courage to admit it this time because I had gone so long without needing help. And now I'm the mom I'm supposed to help. Uh, and I've always been the provider to other people and so now that that was really the hardest thing I think I've done yeah scared for Hannah dude fuck <laughs> that shit's scary yeah it like so affects big. everybody differently like the hormones are so crazy what a woman's body goes through when you know giving birth when building the baby like yeah, it's a long process, and it never stops. Like, the the way that your mind changes after that as a mom, like, like the quote you said, you, you only care about your child's safety now, no one else's. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it just all never turns off. So when, so are we kind of towards the, where you saw the light at the end of the tunnel, right? Like, you talk to your doctor, you got on your medications for the postpartum. Um, so when kind of, how did that process go? Like you started, you, you were on that and did it start to go like better, like pretty rapidly or was it like a really long process? No. Um, it's been the last almost since February of this year, I spontaneously took a trip to California and went on a child, an inner child healing retreat. <laughs> Fuck yeah. That's so, awesome. um, yeah, I realized that when I, so I got on the medication, um, and that's kind of all they do. Like, here's some resources if you want to talk to somebody. Here's your medication. Call us if it gets worse. Like, that's all the doctors really do. Um, And I didn't have the time or resources to go and talk to anybody because I don't know anybody to take care of my daughter here. I don't have childcare, And I am a stay-at-home mom. So unless it was, like, pre-planned and I could get my husband home by a certain time, it was hard for me to make an appointment to do that kind of stuff. Um, I had even tried the BetterHelp app, the virtual therapist. Um, it didn't work for me. I give. I think everybody should give it a shot. I went through a couple different therapists on there still, but I, I don't think I do well virtually when I need somebody to like feel my emotions. Yeah. Um. So, uh, I. I just kind of told my husband that I had had enough of being home alone by myself. Uh, And I wanted to go on this weekend trip to California by myself with these women that I didn't know. 
to do, um, it was generational trauma and inner child healing, um, which he had never even heard of any of that. And so when I said I wanted to go do that, he was like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) What do you mean? Who puts it on? That sounds awesome. Um, It was this person. I had found her podcast. um, So I found her on Instagram. It's Evolve with Evelyn. And I found her podcast. Also, I listened to all her episodes. And it was listening to podcasts. I had found a couple uh, inspirational ones to listen to people's stories, you know, like Jay Sheedy's on purpose always is a good one. Um, but I found this random His voice one. Is so soothing too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I, I found, I found her on Instagram and then I saw generational trauma and that kind of intrigued me as, um, Native American. Cause there's a lot of trauma there. Um, and that's not a part of the family we've ever really talked about. And so I started following her. I started listening to her episodes and then I got to her inner child episode and I was like, well, what, what do you mean that my five-year-old self wasn't loved and is still unloved inside me? Like <laughs> this is opening as something that I had never tried. I had tried typical talk therapy and, the workbooks and everything that they recommended. And so I just kind of went on my own venture and found unconventional things that I haven't tried. Bro, that's literally why I'm sitting in the woods by myself (laughs) right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it just started like he was like, okay, I'm going to make like my husband totally made it happen for me to go to California within a month and pay for everything that I needed to. And it, I have still working on things. That's the first time I'd ever really heard about like shadow work. Um, it's different terms, I think for different, um, people. I can't think of anything else. Uh, Oh my gosh, I just totally lost my whole train of thought. Is that like who you are versus who you want to be or like what's happening inside, like what's going on in your head? Like in my therapy, we talk about like the logical self versus the uh, like emotional child that's in me. Uh, Is it like along those lines? Yeah. So uh, it's, it's a lot of just like meditation which I had never done before. I had never just being alone with myself was what I think I feared the most. And that's why I always relied on something else. Um, and so the shadow work is like, um, the hard questions that nobody really wants to answer honestly about themselves. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the same thing. It's actually looking like internally at what you need to heal that like um your unconditional love for yourself. Like um like what genuinely makes you happy? Like you can sit down and watch Netflix, but are you happy or are you just comfortable? Like would you rather go out and camp in the woods by yourself? 
what would you yeah what's comfortable versus what would you rather actually be doing yeah and then it's like you realize um I was like missing pieces like I was not given much attention as a kid so I would be the kid in school the loud kid acting out for attention because I wasn't getting it at home kind of stuff like it's it's like realizing and validating what your weaknesses are like you said and then work now you have a new part of you to work on to improve Mm. asking those questions that are like what makes you uncomfortable so it's like just asking yourself it's simple questions it's just hard for you to answer truthfully to yourself sometimes like how do you see yourself like not how other people are how you think other people see you um and then like how do you see the world that's tough because and and i again like in my therapy sessions i'm like i look great on paper but i hate myself most of the time (laughs) and it's such a hard concept to wrestle with because it's like again that logically like i know you know i'm this this and this but in my head i'll always go back to like not being enough you know whatever like going through that yeah it's answering those questions are hard but then it opens a new part of you in a way that you have more understanding and even uh empathy for the things and ways you've acted that was a big thing for writing for me it was like putting it on paper made it like a real thing like it like validated everything that i went through and then other people reading it and that's like a big reason for like the podcast is like other people hearing it and other people like it's like especially when it comes to like mental health and addiction stuff it's like it is everywhere like it is literally everywhere and it's like just validating yourself and doing those exercises is like can really like open your mind up to things yeah but you also have to want it yeah that's Fuck true yeah. it's so much easier to not <laughs> <laughs> yes so so that retreat you went on sounds like it helped you immensely yeah did um when you came back did it um was it just like a complete noticeable shift like did your husband immediately was like wow like i'm so glad you did that yeah he did he uh, like he picked me up from the airport and i just it was 10 p.m. at night, and I just started, like, info dumping on him. Everything that we did, everything that I learned, what I felt. And, like, uh, so on the retreat, we started doing not only just, like, the journal work, um, like, the meditations into the inner child. And I had always had a hard time meditating and trying to connect to my subconscious before. And so I had to sit down this weekend and talk to my inner child like I had to talk to my younger self in a meditation and it was really scary to do in front of strangers also out of my comfort zone meditating and then having to share what I experienced with people I just met an hour before so that right there was um uncomfortable but almost made the rest of the weekend much more comfortable yeah it's kind of liberating Uh, yeah uh and then it was it was only four other girls but it was interesting because like 
you know, we just dived right in and then I was like, holy shit, like these people also have mom and family traumas that are similar but different. And it's that gave me a lot of reassurance too that I wasn't alone in what I was experiencing. Um, you know, one girl was mourning her mom she had lost in the last year while also being a mom while I'm trying to mourn how to be a mom without a present present mom like it 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 also gave me the it not necessarily that your your problems aren't as big as other people's problems but everybody has their own and not everybody can handle the same things either that others are that comparison is like the hardest thing to tackle for me it's like i really haven't had it that bad like why am i bitching and complaining why am i ha like when i have a bad day or when i'm fucking sitting in my car crying it's like why the fuck are you doing this like you really you have it so good like you're healthy like all these things and it's like being able to hear those other people say, i want to do what you did that sounds fucking cool <laughs> but hearing other people say all these things and it's not a comparison it's just listening it is just empathizing and being with other people that have been through similar things and it's like that's just that's such a cool thing yeah as, as many faults as like religion and a have together and you know a lot of the programs that are religion based it's it's like there is something to the effect of realizing there's more than just you and how what affects you like there's something greater than yourself whatever that is that you want to believe in you know um i'm reading the alchemist right now for the 15th time uh but i had it on my kindle and so i was like i decided to bring my kindle with me and last night i read um like almost half the book and just that that force that when you are actually trying when you are working on yourself the world will like things will happen that don't make sense because the world is like conspiring to help you get what you want. Like this, you know, again, I'm in the middle of the hike, so it's relevant right now, but like I screwed up my water planning and um, I almost ran out of water. And I knew like I had some like stashed that I brought or cashed as it's called, uh, like that I brought and dropped off at a road, but I had like seven miles to go before I could get to that. And I was almost out but I was crossing another road and there was like a truck driver that I flagged him down and he like gave me a half drink bottle of water. But I was like, Hey, I don't even care. Like I'm here for it. I was just ready. And then, um, not even like 500 feet later on the trail, I found, um, like people just go and set up, like drop these gal like gallon jugs basically. And they'll write the dates on them and stuff. And somebody had, like set it up for the end of last month, beginning of October, and it was still there. So I was like, okay, cool. Like this is like I was stressed about how I was going to finish this, and boom, like here's this water. Here, you know, it just I don't know. It 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 changes your thoughts. Like if I notice if I tend to default to like the negative, um, but then I'm not noticing shit like that where it's like these things are happening. You know, stuff around me is good. Manifesting. Yeah, manifesting. What's that quote that I think we were just talking about it when you were here, Jordan, was the, uh, the oh, God, I'm going to totally draw a blank. The, the magic you're looking for is in the work you're avoiding. 
That's a hard ass quote. <laughs> right. Like the, what you the, what you're avoiding to do is is what you want is what you're avoiding to do. And it's just like so true. Like <laughs> it's just so fucking true. Yeah. But no, that that definitely sounds amazing and I'm I'm happy for you that you got to go do that because everybody needs to find that thing that works for them. So it sounds like that really worked for you and um definitely interested i think we i think we should all three do it uh, us three should go do it at once you know and, and yeah. really tap in and that's the other thing is it doesn't <laughs> sound like it's just been this one thing and done like you've you've had this evolving process where you did do the books you did do the work you know the workbooks too and you've done podcasts and talk therapy um but like it is that you never know what step is going to be the thing that like pushes you over that kind of healing threshold and it sounds like this did um but i know like that it doesn't stop oh no yeah never stops yeah no it's just every day something new like well not every day it's life's not that hard but (laughs) um i i feel like since i started this and i just had a better mind like i used to sit at home by myself as a stay-at-home mom and be like oh I'm doing the same thing over and over again like this is not what I wanted to do I'm just eat feed sleep my child like that wasn't fun and so I started after the class after the weekend and other things um continued doing like uh life coaching things with people um it's just your mind like being positive it's I get to stay home with my daughter and some people have to work and that like there's a lot of things that little little things that people miss on out out on every day like I see it with my husband as a working dad he comes home and he's like oh my gosh she looks bigger she learned a new word and it's like yeah and I need to realize that the things that I get to do I am blessed to, to be able to do because things could have been totally different when I was 17. Yeah, literally like keeping that mindset is like such a big thing. Like that's something that I've learned pretty recently. Um, I got offered a, a trip to Texas like six months ago. Uh, my cousin was like, yeah, dude, like I, I have a plane ticket. And I was like, sure, I'll go. And we went into the mall there and they had a tattoo parlor there. And I was like, I was like, no shot. There's a tattoo place like in the mall and their minimum was a hundred dollars. And I was like, I'm going to get a tattoo. I had no idea what I wanted to get. And I walk in there on the day that I scheduled it. And I, I got a tattoo on my leg that says happiness is a mindset. And like, I, there's nothing better that I could have put. Like, I feel like I've been trying, I've been on this like path of improvement and just trying and trying and trying and trying to like make myself better for the sake of, you know, whether it's my future kids or, you know, my nephews that I'm going to be having or a little brother that I'm going to like have. It's like, I'm here for a reason. Like that's kind of what it boils down to for me. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of to wrap up, um, we always ask, um, well, we've kind of just talked about all the things that you do, but we ask if there was any, if there's any books that you recommend and what's the second thing, Dom? 
Anything that you want to say oh, to yeah. the audience? Like just any final thoughts or anything you want them to know? Um, final thoughts is it's never too late to rewrite your story. Every day is a new chapter if you let it be. Um, except you can't live for other people either. Amen to that. Well, um, but books, I, you know, I've read a lot of the Brene Brown books, um, The Alchemist. Uh, there's a one that was recommended to me from um, one of the girls that I did the retreat with that I read that was really good. That is called, it's called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Dr. Joe Dispenza. And he has a lot of videos on uh, YouTube, too. Um, his, his Reading his book gave me a different mindset and more of, like, the, uh, the generic workbook stuff that they put you, that they recommend in therapy and things. Uh, it's... It's just pretty much the shadow work and telling you that, like, the things that you struggle with are the things that you were kind of not taught or learned correctly. And so it's just reshifting your way of thinking and your own lifestyle. It's a slow day-to-day change. Yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> so. We appreciate you coming on. Um you know, and taking the time to talk to us and, and share your story because we've, when we started this thing, it was like, you know, we just want people to be able to share their story and hopefully what you went through. Okay. I shouldn't say hopefully, not hopefully what you went through, somebody else went through, but hopefully somebody resonates with what you went through because they had to as well. And it makes it that much easier for them. Or maybe somebody hears this and they look into the retreat or whatever. However, if we could help one person, then, you know, that's, that's good to us. So go for it, Jordan. Um, and we can't specify yet, but there, uh, we do have good news oh, yeah. coming as far as a partnership goes in. We, we kind of touched on it a little bit, but that's, that's coming. We can't say anything yet further, uh, but good things are coming and people will be able to continue to work on themselves too. If you or anyone you know are struggling with addiction, please reach out to the National Substance Abuse Hotline at 1-800-662-4357 for additional help. And remember, you're not alone.